Chapter Ten, Part One of the Swiss Family Robinson. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Swiss Family Robinson by Johann R. Wies. Chapter Ten, Part One. On the following morning, we were early astir, and as soon as breakfast was over, we went regularly to work with the bird lime. The tough adhesive mixture of caoutchouc, oil, and turpentine turned out well. The boys brought rods, which I smeared over, and made them place among the upper branches, where the fruit was plentiful, and the birds most congregated. The prodigious number of the pigeons, far beyond those of last year, reminded me that we had not then, as now, witnessed their arrival at their feeding places, but had seen only the last body of the season, a mere party of stragglers, compared to the masses which now weighed down the branches of all the trees in the neighborhood. The sweet acorns of the evergreen trees were also patronized. Large flocks were then congregated, and from the state of the ground under the trees it was evident that at night they roosted on the branches. Seeing this, I determined to make a raid upon them by torchlight, after the manner of the colonists in Virginia. Meantime the bird-lime acted well. The pigeons alighting stuck fast. The more they fluttered and struggled, the more completely were they bedaubed with the tenacious mixture, and at length, with piteous cries, fell to the ground, bearing the sticks with them. The birds were then removed, fresh lime spread, and the snare set again. The boys quickly became able to carry on the work without my assistance, so, leaving it to them, I went to prepare torches, with pine-wood and turpentine, for the night attack. Jack presently brought me a very pretty pigeon, unlike the rest, to show me, as he felt unwilling to kill it, and seeing that it must be one of our own European breed, which we wished to preserve until their numbers greatly increased, I took the trembling captive, and gently cleansed its feet and wings, with oil and ashes, from the stiff sticky mess with which it was bedaubed, placing it then in a wicker cage, and telling Jack to bring me any others like it which were caught. This he did, and we secured several pairs, greatly to my satisfaction, as having necessarily let them go free when we landed, they had become quite wild, and we derived no advantage from them, whereas now we would have a cot, and pigeon pie whenever we liked. When evening drew on we set out for the wood of sweet acorns, provided merely with long bamboo canes, torches, and canvas sacks. These weapons appeared very curious and insufficient to the children, but their use was speedily apparent, for, darkness having come upon us almost before we reached the wood, I lighted the torches, and perceived, as I expected, that every branch was thickly laden with ortolans and wild pigeons, who were roosting there in amazing numbers. Suddenly aroused by the glare of the light, confusion prevailed among the terrified birds, who fluttered helplessly through the branches, dazzled and bewildered, and many falling, even before we began to use the sticks, were picked up and put in the bags. When we beat and struck the branches, it was as much as my wife and Franz could do to gather up the quantities of pigeons that soon lay on the ground. The sacks were speedily quite full. We turned homeward, and on reaching Falconhurst, put our booty in safety, and gladly withdrew to rest. The following day was wholly occupied in plucking, boiling, roasting, and stewing, 
so that we could find time for nothing else, but next morning a great expedition to Woodlands was arranged, that measures might there be taken to prevent a repetition of the monkey invasion. I hoped, could I but catch the mischievous rascals at their work of destruction, to inflict upon them such a chastisement as would effectually make them shun the neighbourhood of our farm for the future. My wife provided us with a good store of provisions, as we were likely to be absent several days, while she, with Franz and Turk, remained at home. I took with me abundance of specially prepared bird-lime, far stronger than that which we used for the pigeons, a number of short posts, plenty of string, and a supply of coconut shells and gourds. The buffalo carried all these things, and one or two of the boys beside. I myself bestrode the ass, and in due time we arrived at a convenient spot in the forest, near woodlands, well concealed by thick bushes and underwood, where we made a little encampment, pitching the small tent and tethering the animals. The dogs, too, were tied up, lest they should roam about and betray our presence. We found the cottage quiet and deserted, and I lost no time in preparing for the reception of visitors, hoping to be all ready for them and out of sight before they arrived. We drove the stakes lightly into the ground, so as to form an irregular paling round the house, winding string in and out in all directions between them, thus making a kind of labyrinth, through which it would be impossible to pass without touching either the stakes or the cords. Everything was plentifully besmeared with bird-lime, and basins of the mixture were set in all directions, strewn with rice, maize, and other dainties for bait. Night came without any interruption to our proceedings, and all being then accomplished, we retired to rest beneath the shelter of our little tent. Very early in the morning we heard a confused noise, such as we knew betokened the approach of a large number of apes. We armed ourselves with strong clubs and cudgels, and holding the dogs in leash made our way silently behind the thickets, till, ourselves unseen, we could command a view of all that went on, and strange indeed was the scene which ensued. The noise of rustling, cracking, and creaking among the branches, with horrid cries and shrieks and chattering, increased to a degree sufficient to make us perfectly giddy, and then out from the forest poured the whole disorderly rabble of monkeys, scrambling, springing, leaping from the trees, racing and tumbling across the grassy space toward the house, when, at once attracted by the novelties they saw, they made for the jars and bowls. They seemed innumerable, but the confused, rapid way in which they swarmed hither and thither made it difficult to judge accurately of their numbers. They dashed fearlessly through and over the palings in all directions, some rushing at the eatables, some scrambling on to the roof, where they commenced tugging at the wooden pegs, with a view to forcing an entrance. Gradually, however, as they rambled over the place, all in turn became besmeared with our bird-lime, on head, paws, or back, or breast. The wretched predicament of the apes increased every instant. Some sat down, and with the most ludicrous gestures tried to clean themselves. Others were hopelessly entangled in stakes and cordage, which they trailed about after them, looking the picture of bewildered despair. Others again endeavoured to help one another, and stuck fast together. 
the more they pulled and tugged and kicked, the worse became their plight. Many had the gourds and coconut shells lumbering and clattering about with them, their paws having been caught when they sought to obtain the rice or fruit we had put for bait. Most ridiculous of all was the condition of one old fellow, who had found a calabash containing palm wine, and, eagerly drinking it, was immediately fitted with a mask, for the shell stuck to his forehead and whiskers, of course covering his eyes, and he blundered about, cutting the wildest capers in his efforts to get rid of the encumbrance. Numbers took to flight, but as we had spread bird-lime on several of the trees around, many apes found themselves fixed to, or hanging from, the branches, where they remained in woeful durance, struggling and shrieking horribly. The panic being now general, I loosed the three dogs, whose impatience had been almost uncontrollable, and who now rushed to the attack of the unfortunate monkeys, as though burning with zeal to execute justice upon desperate criminals. The place soon had the appearance of a ghastly battlefield, for we were obliged to do our part with the clubs and sticks, till the din of howling, yelling, barking, in every conceivable tone of rage and pain, gave place to an awful silence, and we looked with a shudder on the shocking spectacle around us. At least forty apes lay mangled and dead, and the boys began to be quite sad and downhearted, till I, fully sharing their feelings, hastened to turn their thoughts to active employment in removing and burying the slain, burning the stakes, cordage, bowls, everything concerned in the execution of our deadly stratagem. After that we betook ourselves to the task of restoring order to our dismantled cottage, and seeking for the scattered flock of sheep, goats, and poultry, we gradually collected them, hoping to settle them once more peacefully in their yards and sheds. While thus engaged we repeatedly heard a sound as of something heavy falling from a tree. On going to look we found three splendid birds, caught on some of the limed sticks we had placed loose in the branches. Two of these proved to be a variety of the blue Maluka pigeon, the third I assumed to be the Nicobar pigeon, having met with descriptions of its resplendent green, bronze, and steely blue plumage, and I was pleased to think of domesticating them, and establishing them as first tenants of a suitable dwelling near the cave. First tenants, father,' said Fritz, do you expect to catch more like these? Not exactly catch them. I mean to practice a secret art. Much can be done by magic, Fritz. Further explanation I declined to give. In a few days Woodlands was once more set in order, and everything settled and comfortable, so that we returned without further adventure to Falconhurst, where we were joyfully welcomed. Every one agreed that we must go at once to Tentholm to make the proposed pigeon-house in the rock. Several other things there also requiring our attention, we made arrangements for a prolonged stay. My plan for the pigeon-house was to hollow out an ample space in the cliff, facing toward Jackal River, and close to our rocky home, fitting that up with partitions, perches, and nesting-places, while a large wooden front was fitted on to the opening, with entrance-holes, slides or shutters, and a broad platform in front, where the birds could rest and walk about. When, after the work of a few weeks, we thought it was fit for habitation, I set the other children to work at some distance from our cavern, and summoning Fritz, 
"'Now, my faithful assistant,' said I, "'it is time to conjure the new colonists to their settlement here.' "'Yes,' I continued, laughing at his puzzled look, "'I mean to play a regular pigeon-dealer's trick. "'You must know such gentry are very ingenious, "'not only in keeping their own pigeons safe, "'but in adding to their numbers by attracting those of other people. "'All I want is some soft clay, aniseed, and salt, "'of which I will compound a mixture which our birds will like very much, "'and the smell of which will bring others to share it with them.' "'I can easily get you some of those things, father.' "'I shall want some oil of aniseed besides,' said I, "'to put on the pigeon-holes, "'so that the bird's feathers may touch it as they may pass in and out, "'and become scented with what will attract the wild pigeons. "'This I can obtain by pounding aniseed. "'Therefore bring me the mortar and some oil.' "'When this was strongly impregnated with the aromatic oil from the seeds, "'for I did not propose to distill it in regular style, "'I strained it through a cloth, pressing it strongly.' The result answered my purpose, and the scent would certainly remain for some days. All my preparations being completed, the pigeons were installed in their new residence, and the slides closed. The European birds were by this time quite friendly with the three beautiful strangers, and when the other boys came home, and scrambled up the ladder to peep in at a little pane of glass I had fixed in front, they saw them all contentedly picking up grain, and pecking at the magic food, as Fritz called it, although he did not betray my secret arts to his brothers. Early on the third morning I aroused Fritz, and directed him to ascend the rope-ladder, and arrange a cord on the sliding door of the dovecot, by which it could be opened or closed from below. Also he poured fresh aniseed oil all about the entrance, after which we returned, and awoke the rest of the family, telling them that if they liked to make haste, they might see me let the pigeons fly." Everybody came to the dovecot, understanding that some ceremony was to attend the event, and I waved a wand with mock solemnity, while I muttered a seeming incantation, and then gave Fritz a sign to draw up the sliding panel. Presently out popped the pretty heads of the captives, the soft eyes glanced about in all directions, they withdrew, they ventured forth again, they came timidly out on the veranda, as little Franz expressed it, then, as though suddenly startled, the whole party took wing, with the shrill whizzing sound peculiar to the flight of pigeons, and circling above us as they rose higher and higher, finally darting quite out of sight. While we were yet gazing after them, they reappeared, and settled quietly on the dovecot, but as we congratulated ourselves on a return which showed that they accepted this as a home, up sprang the three blue pigeons, the noble foreigners, for whom chiefly I had planned the house, and rising in circles high in the air, winged their rapid way direct toward Falconhurst. Their departure had such an air of determination and resolve about it, that I feared them lost to us for ever. Endeavouring to console ourselves by petting our four remaining birds, we could not forget this disappointment, and all day long the dovecot remained the centre of attraction. Nothing, however, was seen of the fugitive until about the middle of the next day, when most of us were hard at work inside the cavern, Jack sprang in, full of excitement, exclaiming, "'He is there! He is come! He really is!' "'Who? Who is there? What do you mean?' "'The blue pigeon, to be sure! Hurrah! Hurrah!' 
"'Oh, nonsense,' said Ernest. "'You want to play us a trick.' "'Why should it be nonsense?' cried I. "'I fully believe we shall see them all soon.' Out ran everybody to the dovecot, and there, sure enough, stood the pretty fellow, but not alone, for he was billing and cooing to a mate, a stranger of his own breed, apparently inviting her to enter his dwelling, for he popped in and out of the door, bowing, sidling, and cooing in a most irresistible manner, until the shy little lady yielded to his blandishments, and tripped daintily in. Now let's shut the door. "'Pull the cord and close the panel!' shouted the boys, making a rush at the string." "'Stop!' cried I. "'Let the string alone. "'I won't have you frighten the little darlings. "'Besides, the others will be coming. "'Would you shut the door in their faces?' "'Here they come, here they come!' exclaimed Fritz, "'whose keen eye marked the birds afar. "'And to our delight the second blue pigeon arrived, "'likewise with a mate, "'whom, after a pretty little flirtation scene "'of real and assumed modesty on her part, "'he succeeded in leading home.' The third and handsomest of the new pigeons was the last in making his appearance. Perhaps he had greater difficulty than the others in finding a mate as distinguished in rank and beauty as himself. However, we fully expected them, and the boys talked of the arrival of Mr. and Mrs. Nicobar as a matter of course. Late in the day Franz and his mother went out to provide for supper, but the child returned directly, exclaiming that we must hasten to the dovecot to see something beautiful. Accordingly a general rush was made out of the cave, and we saw with delight that the third stranger also had returned with a lovely bride, and, encouraged by the presence of the first arrivals, they soon made themselves at home. In a short time nest-building commenced, and among the materials collected by the birds I observed a long grey moss or lichen, and thought it might very possibly be the same which, in the West Indies, is gathered from the bark of old trees, where it grows, and hangs in great tuft-like beards, to be used instead of horse-hair for stuffing mattresses. My wife no sooner heard of it than her active brain devised fifty plans for making use of it. Would we but collect enough, she would clean and sort it, and there would be no end to the bolsters, pillows, saddles, and cushions she would stuff with it. For the discovery of nutmegs we had also to thank the pigeons, and they were carefully planted in our orchard. For some time no event of particular note occurred, until at length Jack, as usual, got into a scrape, causing thereby no little excitement at home. He went off early on one of his own particular private expeditions. He was in the habit of doing this that he might surprise us with some new acquisition on his return. This time, however, he came back in most wretched plight, covered with mud and green slime. A great bundle of Spanish canes was on his back, muddy and green like himself. He had lost a shoe, and altogether presented a ludicrous picture of misery, at which we could have laughed had he not seemed more ready to cry. "'My dear boy, what has happened to you? Where have you been?' "'Only in the swamp behind the powder magazine, father,' replied he. I went to get reeds for my wicker-work, because I wanted to weave some baskets and hen-coops, and I saw such beauties a little way off in the marsh, much finer than those close by the edge, that I tried to get at them. I jumped from one firm spot to another, 
till at last I slipped and sank over my ankles. I tried to get on toward the reeds which were close by, but in I went deeper and deeper till I was above the knees in thick soft mud, and there I stuck. I screamed and shouted, but nobody came, and I can tell you I was in a regular fright. At last who should appear but my faithful fangs? He knew my voice and came close up to me, right over the swamp, but all the poor beast could do was to help me make a row. I wonder you did not hear us. The very rocks rang, but nothing came of it, so despair drove me to think of an expedient. I cut down all the reeds I could reach round and round me, and bound them together into this bundle, which made a firm place on which to lean, while I worked and kicked about to free my feet and legs, and after much struggling I managed to get astride on the reeds. There I sat, supported above the mud and slime, while fangs ran yelping backward and forward between me and the bank, seeming surprised I did not follow. Suddenly I thought of catching hold of his tail. He dragged and pulled, and I sprawled and crawled and waded, sometimes on my reeds like a raft, sometimes lugging them along with me, till we luckily got back to terra firma. But I had a near squeak for it, I can tell you. "'A fortunate escape indeed, my boy,' cried I, "'and I thank God for it. Fangs has really acted a heroic part as your deliverer, and you have shown great presence of mind.' "'Now go with your mother and get rid of the slimy traces of your disaster. "'You have brought me splendid canes, exactly what I want for a new scheme of mine.' "'The fact was, I meant to try to construct a loom for my wife, "'for I knew she understood weaving, so I chose two fine strong reeds, "'and, splitting them carefully, bound them together again, "'that when dry they might be quite straight and equal, and fit for a frame.' Smaller reeds were cut into pieces and sharpened for the teeth of the comb. The boys did this for me without in the least knowing their use, and great fun they made of father's monster toothpicks. In time all the various parts of the loom were made ready and put together, my wife knowing nothing of it, while to the incessant questions of the children I replied mysteriously, "'Oh, it is an outlandish sort of musical instrument. Mother will know how to play upon it.' and when the time came for presenting it, her joy was only equalled by the amusement and interest with which the children watched her movements while playing the loom, as they always said. About this time a beautiful little foal, a son of the onager, was added to our stud, and as he promised to grow up strong and tractable, we soon saw how useful he would be. The name of Swift was given to him, and he was to be trained for my own riding." The interior arrangements of the cavern being now well forward, I applied myself to contriving an aqueduct, that fresh water might be led close up to our cave, for it was a long way to go to fetch it from Jackal River, and especially inconvenient on washing days. As I wanted to do this before the rainy season began, I set about it at once. Pipes of hollow bamboo answered the purpose well, and a large cask formed the reservoir. The supply was good, and the comfort of having it close at hand so great, that the mother declared she was as well pleased with our engineering as if we had made her a fountain and marble basin adorned with mermaids and dolphins. End of chapter 10, part 1, read on July 19, 2009, in San Diego, California.